0: Good morning everyone. It's good to be here with you all. My name is Tim Greeno. I'm one of the pastors here at Walnut Creek. Uh, If you're visiting us this morning, I want to say welcome to you good to have you here. We always love to have visitors. Uh, and, and what we tell people when they visit is make the most of your time here, okay? Get to know a few folks. Find out how you can take some steps forward in connecting in the church. One thing you can do is just stop by the Welcome Center on your way out of church this morning and say hello. Find out uh, how you can uh, connect further in the church body. And I wanted to to mention uh, also this morning, for those of you who are newer or visiting this morning, uh, today we are starting five weeks where we will not have our normal kids classes up and running, so there's a few extra eyeballs looking at me this morning. Um, But we also are missing a lot of our middle school and high schoolers. They've got a retreat this weekend that they're just getting back from. Uh, So next week we'll probably really notice it. Uh, But we're going to have our students in here with us for the next five weeks, and we're excited about that. That'll be uh, a lot of fun. Um, And then after that, as we turn to kind of middle of September and we're off into the fall, we will be back with our normal kids' classes for preschool up through fifth grade. I wanted to mention, though, we do have the nursery up and running. So if you've got a nursery-age kiddo that you'd like to take to the nursery, you can do that. That is available. Um, and then also, if, if you have uh, younger kids who are maybe having a little bit of a tough time uh, hanging in there through the message, I will try my best to be entertaining today. However... Uh, having five kids myself, I know how it can go. So if you need to step out, uh, feel free to do that. The messages are going to be piped through the speakers up in the, the entryway there. So you can just step out for a few minutes, stay connected to the message. And when you uh, are able to, you can return back. And that can be a good way to love your neighbor. Um, so definitely be, uh, don't, don't be afraid to utilize that option. And if you happen to see me running out those double doors with a cute little blondie or a redhead in my arms, I'm just going to keep on going, uh, but you know where I'm headed, okay? We'll get through it together. It'll be great. So uh, we're going to tackle Genesis chapter 21 together today, uh, the the back half of it at least. And this is an excellent passage. I'm excited for it. Uh, We're going to get our time started in the word. We'll read through the text and then we'll pray for a few minutes together. So if you've got a Bible, get it out, get it open to Genesis chapter 21. We'll read that text and you can follow along with me. And this is coming on the heels of Isaac finally being born to Sarah. So the promised son that was to be born through Sarah and Abraham, he's finally come. Isaac is here, and now he's about three years old when we step into verse 8. It says this, The child grew and was weaned, and Abraham held a feast on the day that Isaac was weaned, or stopped nursing. But Sarah saw the son mocking the one that Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham, meaning Ishmael. So she said to Abraham, drive out this slave and her son, for the son of this slave will not be a co-heir with my son, Isaac. Now, this was a very difficult thing for Abraham because of his son. But God said to Abraham, do not be concerned about the boy and your slave. Whatever Sarah says to you, listen to her, because your offspring will be traced through Isaac. But I will also make a nation of the slave's son, because he is your offspring. Early in the morning Abraham got up, took bread and a water skin, put them on Hagar's shoulders, and sent her away, uh, and the boy away. She left and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone she left the boy under one of the bushes, and then she went and sat down nearby about a bowshot away, for she said, I can't bear to watch this boy die. So she sat nearby and she wept loudly. But God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is wrong, Hagar? Don't be afraid, for God has heard the voice of the boy from the place where he is. Get up. Help the boy up. Support him, for I will make him a great nation. And then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. She went and filled the water skin and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy, and he grew. He grew. He settled in the wilderness and he became an archer. He settled in the wilderness of Paran and his mother got a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Good work, mom. (laughs) At that time, Abimelech, accompanied by Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. Swear to me by God here and now that you will not break an agreement with me or my children and descendants. As I have been loyal to you. So you will be loyal to me and to the country where you are a foreign resident. And Abraham said, I swear it. But Abraham complained to Abimelech because of the water well that Abimelech's servants had seized. Abimelech replied, I don't know who did this. You didn't report anything to me, so I had not heard about it until today. So Abraham took sheep and cattle. He gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. Abraham separated seven ewe lambs from the flock. And Abimelech said to Abraham, Why have you separated these seven ewe lambs? He replied, You are to accept the seven lambs from my hand so that this act will serve as a witness that I dug this well. Therefore, that place was called Beersheba because it was there that the two of them swore an oath. And after they had made a covenant at Beersheba, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, left and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called on the name of Yahweh, the everlasting God, and Abraham lived as a foreigner in the land of the Philistines for many days. It's the text we're going to be in today. It's a wonderful text, uh, but before we jump in and study it together, I'm going to invite you to pray and to pray with one another for just a few minutes here. And one thing that we do pretty much every week, if you're, if you're newer with us, this is something we do just about every week. We just take a couple of minutes, turn to a neighbor, put our heads together, and pray, and pray for one another. And and there's two things I want you to be praying for today. Number one, you can be praying that we would enjoy our time in worship together this morning. Okay, number one thing we do when we gather together on Sunday mornings is we enjoy worship of the Lord. We receive from God. So we can be lifting each other up in that. And then also I want you to pray for our students who are with us this morning. A lot of these students, they are in the service today, perhaps for the first time, and they get to just witness and experience mom and dad worshiping Jesus with them. And so we can be praying that their hearts would be encouraged in the Lord, and that they would understand uh, God's truth just a little bit more as they worship alongside us today in that. Okay, so let's pray for a couple minutes, then I'll jump in and pray with everybody, and then we'll be on our way in the text. And marks, get set. Father, God, we we thank you, Lord, for our time together this morning. God, may we be full of joy as we are in your presence together, God. May may our hearts be really ministered to and healed as we uh, sing and and pray and spend time in your word and your promises, God, in your presence. Lord, I pray for our students with us. Lord, just encourage their hearts this morning, God. Help them to um, know you better, God. I pray, Lord, that God, you would teach us through your word in a way that lifts us up, God. And we need that. We need your encouragement. We need it today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, hey, it is a dreary summer day outside today, okay? Uh, First service, the rain was just pouring down as we were together, and you could hear it on the roof. And I thought to myself, you know what? It is a dreary, miserable, rainy day out but isn 't it good to be together and to worship and to sing to God and I think sometimes the, the, like the weather it can get us down, it can get us in a funk, but God desires that our hearts would be full of worship, that our hearts would be filled up and encouraged in Him today, and so my my Hope oh, my prayer is that through the word, through singing together, we'd lift each other up in joy today in the Lord. Okay? Now, about six months ago, uh, my wife and I, we started to do something on Friday nights that has brought us a lot of joy, uh, which is we just open our doors up for family dinner every single Friday night. Everyone is invited. That means all of you are all invited to our house any Friday night you want. All you need to do is we've got a little Google sheet, a Google Doc, which I created. I was pretty proud of myself. This is a high level of technology for me. A little Google Doc. And all you need to do is just tell us that you're coming and how many are coming with you. And we will make sure that there is enough spaghetti and red sauce uh, to feed you and your family and whoever comes with you. It's very laid back. It's very informal. Literally all we do, I set out a bigger garbage can than usual and we open our doors. And the hope is that we can spend just a little bit of time in the Word together, a little bit of time in prayer together, uh, but most of our time is just spent in good, intentional conversations with one another. We have a lot of fun. Uh, Our kids have a lot of fun with it. The kids are always just kind of running around all over the place, and it's a wonderful time. But like I said, we we spend a lot of our time just in conversation, and a couple of weeks ago I had a very interesting conversation with somebody across the island uh, at my kitchen, and what they explained to me was that the world is actually uh, in process of being taken over by a robot. And this robot—it's an incredible robot. It can do anything that you ask him to do. And his name is uh, ChatGPT, or as my wife calls him, Chad GT. Now, uh, most of you, for most of you, like Chad GT, probably isn't breaking news. But for me, a couple weeks ago, my mind was blown. I thought, what? in the world are you talking about? Like you just ask it to do something and then it does it? You tell it to like write a sermon and it does it, which like surprise, so far hasn't chat GPT done a great, no, I'm just kidding. I'm messing with you. <laughs> but my son, he was, he was like really pumped up about it because apparently he'd been sitting on this one for a while. He was hoping to have a song written about a bubblegum mustache and as soon as we found out about, you know, when you blow a bubble and then it sticks on your lip and you get the dirt accumulate OK, so as soon as he heard about Chad G.T, he wanted it to write a song about a bubblegum mustache. And I'll tell you what. Chad G- G.T. knows how to write a good song. Uh, it came back within moments of being asked with a song that was like like Justin Bieber- level poetry. I'll just say that. It was amazing. Technology is wild. I don't understand a lick of it, uh, but it is an incredible thing. And it got me thinking the other day, I wonder if Chad GT could produce a recipe for truth serum. Now, I know that it might sound far-fetched, but I thought, you know, from my vantage point, the seat that I sit in, what I've noticed is that a lot of problems in life stem from the fact that the world is full of lies and deception. Okay? Now, yes, we tell lies to one another, deceive one another, but I think probably the bigger problem is the lies we tell ourselves and the deception where we pull the wool over our own eyes. And so, what I want you to do this morning is to go ahead and imagine with me uh, that Chad GT has, in fact, produced for us a very special batch of truth serum. And you can go ahead and you can inject your neighbor with truth serum if you'd like. Okay? And with that truth serum flowing through the veins, I want you to answer a couple of questions for me this morning. And you don't have to say it out loud. You can just write it in your notes. But question number one is this. I want you to rate your life on a scale of one to ten. Just think about it. Rate your life on a scale of one to ten. You don't have to go crazy. Actually, I think it's helpful just to gut instinct. Everything that kind of comes with your life, the total package, how would you rate your life? One couldn't get any worse. Ten couldn't get any better. And remember, Chad GT has produced for us that very special truth serum. No deceiving ourselves this morning. How would you rate your life? Think about your your job, your boss, your your, your meetings your marriage your kids sickness health all of it total package and then answer this what would make it better what is it that would take it from a five to a six or from an eight to a nine from a one to a two Or perhaps it's it's easier to think about it this way. What prevents it from being a 10? What stands in the way? Don't hyper-spiritualize it. Don't overthink it. Just let that truth theorem do its thing. Now, I want you to tuck that away in your back pocket. We're going to come back to that later. But for now, we're going to turn to our passage. And you see, the passage that we're in this morning, what it does is it shines a little spotlight right on the human heart, and it gets right at the center of this question. As I've meditated on this text for the last several weeks, this is the question that keeps rising to the surface, okay? What is it that can satisfy a human heart? What can actually satisfy a human heart? You ever thought about that before? What is it that can actually fully satisfy a human heart? Like I said, our passage today, it gets us right to the center of that very question. And I want us to walk through this text first of all, just by way of summary. We're going to walk rather quickly through kind of the big picture of the text through a summary of it. And then we're going to come back and we're going to zoom in on the drama that sits inside of this passage. And as we do that, there's going to be this giant spotlight that shines down on the human heart and helps us to explore that question. What is it that can satisfy the human heart? Or to borrow Cole's analogy from last week, here's what we're going to do. First, we're going to see the whole puzzle. And then we're going to zoom in on one little tiny puzzle piece. Okay, okay. And the whole puzzle, the big picture of the text, it's split into two parts, and those two parts both have to do with jealousy. There's a lot of jealousy going on in Genesis chapter 1. It is a jealous mom and a jealous king. A lot of jealousy in Genesis 21. And, and, It starts with a jealous mom, okay? And I I want you to get the right idea of the kind of jealousy that we're dealing with as we look at this jealous mom. This is not the kind of jealousy that's like that sweet jealousy of the Lord, where he's like jealous for us. Uh, This is the kind of jealousy that ends up on Dateline with dead people, okay? Has anybody ever watched an episode of Dateline? Anyone? Anyone? Thank you. Okay. Now, if you've seen an episode of Dateline, you've seen all of them. Because it's always the same plot. Somebody is sleeping with somebody they shouldn't be. Jealousy awakens, and someone ends up dead. That's like every Dateline ever. This is the exact type of jealousy that is pouring forth from the heart of Sarah in our passage. And this is what the, the, the text tells us about the jealousy of... Sarah, and what we've got to bear in mind, okay, if you were thinking to yourself, as I read Genesis 21, if you were thinking to yourself, I don't remember this passage. Do you know why that is? It's because it sits in between Isaac being born, the promised son of God finally here, and then Isaac being brought up to the mountain to be sacrificed. Okay, like two of the most memorable, meaningful passages in all of the scriptures, you have this right in between it. Okay, and in this text, it's right on the heels of the birth of Isaac. Isaac is about three years old and he is being weaned, meaning he's, he's coming off of being nursed. He's about three years old at this time. They rolled a little bit deeper those days. Okay. And then, <laughs> don't know why that's funny. <laughs> but,. What's happening... Uh, so Isaac is being weaned... And, and Ishmael is about 15 or 16 years old. Okay? So Isaac's like three. His half-brother Ishmael is like 15 or 16. Okay? And it says this in verse 8. The child grew and was weaned... And Abraham held a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son mocking... The, the one that Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham. If you remember... Hagar, the Egyptian, was the slave of Abraham and and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah could not have a child. But God had promised them a child. They took matters into their own hands. At Sarah's prompting, Abraham gets together with Hagar. And they have a son named Ishmael. That is the son, now 15 or 16 years old, who is mocking little Isaac. Little three-year-old Isaac. So... Sarah seized the mocking and she said to Abraham, drive out this slave with her son, for the son of this slave will not be a co-heir with my son. So Here's 93-year-old Sarah. She's finally done nursing, which I'm sure felt like quite the relief and they have this huge feast for her son Isaac. It's supposed to be such a wonderful celebration. Like her eyes should be locked on her beautiful chunky little boy. Just think, what a sweet gift from God. What a, what a promised treasure from God. But they're not. She she doesn't even see her son Isaac. She all she sees is Ishmael and he's mocking. And she's fuming. 15, 16 years down the road, there is still that jealous heat inside of her, fuming. And she says to Abraham, her husband, get rid of these people. Get rid of these awful people. Send them away. I don't care what happens to them. Throw them out into the wilderness. If they die, they die. Get rid of them. And Abraham, he's got a pickle on his hands because this is his son. Ishmael is his son. But it's like he's got to choose between son and wife. And Abraham goes to the Lord. He ends up sending them away as Sarah requests. He sends away Hagar and Ishmael, and they go out in the wilderness, presumably to die. As a result of Sarah's bitter jealousy, this is a jealous mom. Okay, but Sarah is not the only one who's a little bit jelly in this story. You also have a jealous king. A very jealous king. And that jealous king is our boy Abimelech from chapter 20. You remember chapter 20? We get introduced to Abimelech here in chapter 21. He's back. And he is jealous of the way that God is seemingly always with Abraham. And always blessing Abraham. And he says to himself, I want in on that. Whatever it is that has caused God to be with you. I see it. And I want that. And so he comes to pay a visit to Abraham. And in verse 22, this is what Abimelech says to Abraham. At that time, Abimelech, accompanied by Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. So swear to me by God here and now that you will not break an agreement with me or with my children and descendants as I have been loyal to you. So you will be loyal to me and to the country where you are a foreign resident. And Abraham said, I swear it. He makes this very strange alliance. If you think about it, the, the father of the Jews, Abraham, he makes this very strange alliance with Abimelech, king of the land of the Philistines. And Abimelech, he was moved to this alliance because of the fact that he saw the ways that God blessed Abraham and he wanted in on that. And he brought with him his muscle. His commander, his, his right-hand man, Phicol. And whether uh, Abraham was coerced into it or not, we see that he makes this, this treaty, this alliance. And I think there's a lot that we could linger on within that alliance. But that's not where we're going to spend our time today. Okay, The, the, the rest of chapter 21, it, it focuses on some of the details and finer points of that alliance But that's not where we're going to linger in the text today. Where I want to linger in the text today is where I think the drama really sits in the passage. And I think where that spotlight on the human heart really shines, which is the situation with Sarah, with Hagar, with Ishmael, and with Abraham and Isaac. And what I would like to do is to briefly read back through that portion of the text and then give you three observations from the text. And through that, I believe we will learn a lot about the human heart. So, verse 8. I'm just going to read 8 through 21. It says this, "...the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham held a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son mocking, the one that Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham. So she said to Abraham, drive out the slave and her son, for the son of the slave will not be co-heir with my son Isaac." look what this does to abraham this was a very difficult thing for abraham because of his son but god said to abraham do not be concerned about the boy and your slave whatever sarah says to you listen to her because your offspring will be traced through isaac but i will also make a nation of the slave's son because he is your offspring early in the morning abraham got up he took bread and a water skin, he put them on Hagar's shoulders, and he sent her and the boy away. She left and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she left the boy under one of the bushes, and then she went, and she sat down nearby, about a bowshot away, for she said, I can't bear to watch the boy die. So she sat nearby and she wept loudly. But God heard The boy crying, he heard the voice of the boy and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what's wrong, Hagar? Don't be afraid for God has heard the voice of this boy from the place where he is. Get up, help the boy and support him for I will make him a great nation. And then God opened up her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the water skin and gave the boy a drink and God was with the boy and he grew He settled in the wilderness, and he became an archer. He settled in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother got a wife for him from the land of Egypt. So I said I want to give you three observations, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to work backwards through our text. okay? And there's three things that I want to point out, and they're all going to teach us something about the human heart and what it is that can satisfy a human heart. So observation number 1 in our text is this, Hagar had intense trouble, but God satisfied Hagar by his presence and promise. Hagar had incredible trouble and pain, suffering. But God satisfied Hagar by his presence and his promise. And and, and do you know why it is that Hagar had great trouble, suffering? Well, it's obvious. Is it it because she was sinned against by Sarah. Is because of that bitter jealousy in the heart of Sarah. She was sinned against, kicked out of her home of 16 years. Sarah has Abraham kick out Hagar and Ishmael with nothing but a little piece of bread, and a little bit of water to go wander in the wilderness until they die. you know what they have in the wilderness there? Nothing. They have no money. They, they, they don't have a roof over their heads. They don't have a home. They have no retirement account. They have no future. I mean, I, I want you to honestly put yourself in their shoes. It's pretty hard to do. It's pretty hard for us to even imagine what this would be like. But think about it. Think about being kicked out with absolutely nothing. They don't know where their next drink of water is going to come from. They don't know where their next meal is going to come from. They have no one to protect them. They're out in the wilderness all alone. You talk about a stressful situation. And see, it's not just that they're facing death immediately. Like, yes, that is true. But like, what if they survive? What are they going to do? Like, what is their future? They have no inheritance. They have no person to look after them. I mean, think 10, 20, 30 years down the road. Where do they go? Even if they live, they've lost everything. All because Sarah has decided to be a jealous psychopath. And at the same time, though, they didn't have nothing. And this is important to realize. They did not have nothing. They had God's presence and his promise. Now, that was it. That was all they had in a very literal sense. But they did have God's presence and promise. God heard the boy. He heard this boy crying out to God, and he comes to Hagar, and he comforts her, and he says this. Think about the comfort of these words from your heavenly father. Don't be afraid. They're all alone in the wilderness with absolutely nothing. And God says, don't be afraid. I am with you. I won't leave you or forsake you. You have me. And you have my word. And that is enough. That is all that we need. That is enough. God will never leave us or forsake us. Because of that, no matter what you are facing in life and even in death, you do not need to be afraid. God says, don't be afraid. You're not alone. And then what he does is this. He opens her eyes to see the well of water right in front of her. And you know what Hagar does? She dips the water skin into the well and gives the boy a drink. She just puts one foot in front of the other. It's just one little step. And sometimes that is all that you need to do. That is all that God is calling us into. Just put one foot in front of the other. And he satisfies them with his presence and through his promise. And he says, I will make this boy a great nation and no one can stop me. And he does it. He does it. You see, Sarah in one sense had taken everything from them. In her bitter jealousy, she had taken everything. But she couldn't touch the work of God. And they are satisfied in him. Observation number two. Abraham had intense trouble. But God satisfied Abraham by his presence and his promise. Abraham had incredible problems. Incredible suffering. Incredible trouble. Why? Well, again, because of Sarah's bitter jealousy. She, in, in that jealousy, that jealous rage, says, throw these evil, wicked people out. Get them out of here. Don't want to see them. Send him out to die. And Abra- Abraham is absolutely devastated because now he's got an impossible choice. If you are a husband and a father, here's an impossible choice where you choose between your wife and your son. How do you make that choice? But you know what Abraham does with that impossible choice in front of, them, in front of him? He turns to the Lord in verse 12. Do you see that? He turns to God. He goes to God with this. And God gives Abraham wisdom from above that you would have never, ever, ever come up with on your own. God said to Abraham, do not be distressed. Beautiful, comforting words from our Heavenly Father. Do not be stressed out. Don't freak out. Don't worry about the boy and about your slave. Whatever Sarah says to you, listen to her because your offspring will be traced through Isaac and I will also make a great nation of the slave's son because he is your offspring. You see what God said to Abraham? Don't be distressed. Do not worry. You, just listen to Sarah. And what he's really saying is listen to me. You can listen to me. You can trust me. Do what she is asking you to do. Yes, her plan is awful and evil and terrible, but no one can stop the Lord. No one can destroy what God has planned. And God promises him, he comforts him with his presence. And he says, look, I will do great things through your son Isaac, and I will do great things through your son Ishmael. And you can trust me. And Abraham is satisfied in the Lord and in his presence and in his promise. He is comforted. And then what does Abraham do? He just puts one foot in front of the other. He gets up the next morning. He fills the skin with water. He takes some bread. He gives it to Hagar and to Ishmael. And he entrusts them to the Lord. What more can we do? But take one step after another. One foot in front of the other. Abraham, he suffered Incredible loss. He lost his son Ishmael because of the jealousy of Sarah. He lost his the the mother of his son. But he has not lost the Lord. God's promise, God's presence. He was satisfied in that. Then we come to observation number three, which is this Sarah had the promised son, but had no satisfaction. She had what she had longed for. What God had promised for so many years. And yet she has no satisfaction. Bitter jealousy in the heart. Do you know who didn't lose anything at all in this story? At least in one sense. It was Sarah. Sarah didn't suffer loss. She she had the son that she had always hoped for and longed for. She waited her whole life to experience the joy of pregnancy, and and she finally had it. She waited her whole life to experience the joy of, of holding a precious son in her own arms and nursing him, and she finally had it. And here she is at this beautiful celebration, wonderful feast for her son, Isaac. She's got everything she could ever want. She has incredible wealth. I mean, remember that. She has incredible wealth. Stability, prosperity. She has a God-fearing husband who actually loves the Lord. She has a beautiful son. And yet she has no joy. She is empty. And what she does is she lashes out at those around her, hurting everyone around her. And it's like she's just trying to figure out, how do I make this pain in my heart stop? How do I find joy? But everywhere she turns, she's looking in the wrong place. And despite the fact that she literally has everything that she has asked for, and she has the very son that God had promised her, she still does not have joy when we zoom in on this part of her story. And what Sarah does not seem to have, what seems to be missing in her heart, is the presence of God I mean, that is the thing that stands out to me above everything else in this passage. When you look at it, what is missing? is just any interaction with God himself. She is missing the presence of God. She has the promised son, but she's missing the promise giver. Cole talked about this last week. It's it's not what God promises that brings us joy. It, It is the fact that He has promised Himself that He is with us. And there is only one place that the human heart can find its joy and satisfaction. And that is in the presence of God. In the presence and in the promises of God Himself. Sarah had no joy in the Lord because she missed God's presence. Now here's what I want to tell you as your pastor, okay? And I think that this might be a little bit painful to hear, but know that it comes from much, much love. And a lot of years spent side by side alongside you guys. Okay? I've been Pastoring here at the Heights for the last five years, but walking alongside the Lord with many of you for a whole lot longer than that. And if I could share one great concern that I have with us as a church, here it is. I am concerned that our greatest weakness is a lack of joyful worship in the presence of God. I don't worry that you're going to be led astray by false doctrine. Y'all are sharp as a tack. Okay? I don't worry that much about that. I, I don't worry that you're going to be persuaded to liberal theology. I do not worry that you'll be confused about gender issues or homosexuality or the prosperity gospel. That isn't my concern. But one thing that I do genuinely worry about. the, The great concern of my heart and my observation as your pastor is I fear that when we come together to sing, your hearts are not awakened in joyful worship in the presence of God the way that they can be. You see, the joyful worship of the Lord, it is meant to be like medicine for the human heart. It it is the salve that our human hearts actually need. You see, the, the, the world that we live in, it's full of suffering. It is full of hard conversations, hard experiences, difficult relationships. It's full of stress, pain, bitterness, Offenses, hurts that come at us from every angle. But what is meant to bring healing to our hearts, to just melt those things away into joy, it's our worship. It's when we get together and worship Jesus. Alongside one another. That God is bringing healing to our hearts. Over and over and over again. Week after week. That's what God is doing in our, in our midst. By his presence. As we sing his promises. To him and to one another. God is bringing salve to our hearts. And it's through that joyful worship. That, that our eyes just light up. That our hearts light up. That we are awakened. Into life. But I fear that our greatest weakness as a church, it's our worship. It's the very thing that is at the very heart of following Jesus. And my heart's greatest desire as your pastor, as as a friend and fellow brother in Christ, is that you would walk joyfully in worship in the presence of God. And that week after week after week, this place would be abounding in joyful worship. That that it would be springing forth from our hearts. That before anything else, first and foremost, what we do when we come together is we enjoy the presence of God. That it puts a smile on our face. That it lights us up from the inside out. Oh, it is good to sing. It's good to sing with one another. It's good to sing before God. It's good to be in his word. I mean, my greatest prayer is that as we're walking through the word of God, that it would light up our hearts from the inside out. See, I I don't have any doubt that intellectually we are sharp as a tack in the word of God. But see, the thing that I wish I could do as a pastor, and yet I know I have no power to do, is to just reach into your hearts and turn on that switch of joyful worship in the Lord. Oh, how I wish I could do that. See, in so many ways, that that is the work that a pastor desires to do, and yet what we realize is I have no power. To do that, only the Lord, only Jesus can do it. That's why we point you to Jesus over and over again, week after week after week. It is only Jesus that can light our hearts up in joyful worship. We mentioned we have a prayer summit this Friday up in the chapel. We get together about every six weeks and we just pray with one another. It is such a joyful time. A joyful time to sing and to pray with one another. But I know, I know how difficult it is to prioritize times like that in our busy lives and in our busy schedules. But here's what I worry about. I worry that those times are not prioritized by many of our people because what they see is just another thing on the schedule. It's just one more thing to do in a very busy life full of things to do. And it's not to say, hey, we're going to start taking attendance and you better be there or be square. That's not it at all. But what I'm saying is I worry that the reason certain things are not a priority is because we don't experience the joyful worship of God when we do come together. It's like there's a haze, there's a fog. So I, I, I've known some of you for the last 19 years, we've followed Christ alongside each other. Some of us have gone to school together, came to Christ around the same time, have been following Jesus for a long time. I love you dearly. I love you dearly. I do not want you to walk in a spiritual haze or a fog. I want you to know the joy of the Lord. That every time we come together on a Friday night and pray, that every time we step into this home together and we sing and we're in the Word, that you just abound in joyful worship. That it's, it's not a duty or a task or an obligation. It's a place where life abounds. And when people from the outside step Inside. The thing that they're overwhelmed with more than anything else, it's not first your theology, it's not first your strategy, it's not first your organization or your excellence. It's that this is a house of worship. What brought Jesus? to such incredible passion as he drove out the the money exchangers and flipped over their tables in the temple. He said, this is to be a house of worship. And may there be joyful worship in this house. What we're going to do is I'm going to close here in prayer and then we're going to sing together. And I would just encourage you Sing joyfully. Sing joyfully in the Lord. Rejoice in the truth of the grace, forgiveness, and salvation that we have through Jesus Christ. And then we're going to take communion together and spend a few minutes just remembering why it is that we are all here in the first place. How it is that us sinners find ourselves in such abundant grace in the first place. Okay, let me pray, then we'll sing, and then we'll commune together. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus. There is a reason we sing today, Lord, and that reason it is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we we are forgiven. We have a promised eternity that could not be better if we scripted it ourselves. Lord, there is nothing better than what you have promised for all of eternity, which is your God, we get to be with you, even with one another, God, for all of eternity, Lord. And there's nothing that can satisfy the human heart, Lord. We, we see in your word, God, even if we were to get everything that we ever asked for, God, the things that, that we hope for most in the world, Lord, our hearts would still not be full of joy if we didn't have you. And Lord, we have you this morning, We couldn't have any more of you if we tried, God. You are fully here with us today, Lord. May we rejoice in your presence, God, in your promises, Lord, and and most of all, in the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. God, help us to worship. Lead us in worship, God, and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.